I neganed Donald Trump's head. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, like over and over. I must have stomped it like 20 times. And can we just talk for, I mean, I know we want to keep it positive. Yeah. But can we just talk about how good that felt? Because oh my God, it I felt did, so good. I did the same thing. I threw my phone. <laughs> I shattered the shit out of it. Oh. I mean, and I had to get a new phone. Oh. But it felt so good. It did. No, you'll see me. Oh, like I, so like I'm crying and I look over at Scott. And I'm like, this feels good. And then he goes, how do you feel, Darby? How do you feel? And I'm like, I better. Yeah, I feel better. <laughs> Hello and welcome to How They Did It with me, Darby Worley. If you've been feeling like I've been feeling since the election, which is to say depressed, anxious, scared, horrified, this is the interview for you. You may remember Jamal Smith from our second, I think, episode. Jamal worked on the Hillary campaign and he is here today to tell us what the election was like for him, what it was like for people on the inside of the campaign, and also what we can do now, what to do next. I don't want to say a whole lot about it. I think we'll just jump right into it. So here's Jamal Smith. Jamal Smith, Hi, welcome Darby. back to yes, How They Did It. Girl. This show might be called The Darby Cast by the time um, we release this one. Because I'm thinking about changing the name. People, what do you think if I change the name to The Darby Cast? Um, send like me your it. thoughts. You like it? I do. I really like it. Me too. I'm speaking for the people. <laughs> <laughs> speaking for the people, girl. I like it, I too. Like it. I want to be able to talk about everything that I want to talk about, not just about people's careers and how they got there and stuff. You know? And let's just be honest with what's coming up. We need to cast that net nice and wide because, girl. <laughs> so Jamal is here to do a debrief on wah, wah, wah. <laughs> back <from> the, <laughs> the election. Jamal is back from working on the Hillary for America campaign. So first things first. Yes. I mean, be honest. Hillary Clinton lost the election because she's actually a murderer with like 30 bodies under her belt, right? Girl, they, 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 I'm surprised they found out. <laughs> You know how hard I was working to keep that under wraps? <laughs> listen, listen. So Hillary Clinton lost the Electoral College, but she won the popular vote. Right. And let's be very clear about what that means. So even in a time where most people of the 200-some million people that were eligible to vote, over 100 million of them couldn't be bothered to vote. Okay, so already voter suppression. Mm -hmm. But of those people that voted... Hillary Clinton, her message, her ideology still won. But by some, but by the nature of our just national politics, presidential election, she lost the presidency. Mm -hmm. So let's really be clear that the country, the tide, the message, love Trump hates, uh, uh, love Trump's hate, the rejection of the racism, xenophobia, misogyny, uh, Islamophobia won out. Yeah. But because of some other factors and technicalities of our voting system, we now are in a situation that we're in. Yeah. So I want you to take us through, let's say, the last 48 hours okay. of the campaign. Like, where were you? What were you doing? What kind of feelings were you having? Right. Like, take us through mm. what, how, what those last two days. Okay. That's that's actually right on time because I've been rethinking a lot about that the last couple of weeks. And and by the way, we should we should tell people, it's been about it's almost three weeks. Today's since, November 29th. We're yeah. recording this on November 29th. Yeah, it's almost about three weeks. So uh, 48 hours, I was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 
Deputy Director of Operations for the State of Pennsylvania, and we were preparing for to really secure our blue firewall, and Pennsylvania was the key to that. And to do that, we were having a series of huge events in the city of Philadelphia. So we had just finished having a huge concert in downtown Philadelphia with Stevie Wonder, mm -hmm. and we had another huge concert with Katy Perry. And by huge, I mean tens of thousands of people came. These were, these were free events. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea was to get people out, remind them to vote. And it was a really smart strategy because the venues were by voting locations. So we could say your polling place is across the street. And that was really important for Pennsylvania because there was no uh, early voting or there is no early voting in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. You either vote by ballot or you show up on election day. So just give me a little context as to like what was really happening in the air and the sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. And then specifically two days out, I was at a huge rally with President Obama, Michelle Obama, uh, John Bon Jovi, that's who it was, John Bon Jovi, mm -hmm. Bruce Springsteen, Bill Clinton, Chelsea Clinton, and Hillary Clinton. And huge rally, independent, small, 33,000 people there. And the mood was excitement and energy i think there was a little bit of fear yeah did you start to know that did you yeah. start to feel like it was turning uh, you know a little bit a little bit which is why i was really glad we we're having this rally i think there were a combination of a couple things big picture the call me letter it was palpable you could feel it something mm -hmm. stopped and it was like a big i don't say full deflate but it changed the game there was a change in the air in two ways one i think this sense of momentum that we had and poll numbers were really strong those started to dip the other thing though was it created a big sense of urgency i think when the poll numbers start to dip people start to feel that she was vulnerable because i will say i think there was a sense of complacency leading up to leading up to november i think people felt like because the poll numbers are so strong she had great debate performances donald trump was clearly incompetent and scary yeah. that she had this in the bag. Yeah. And so there was space for people to maybe not volunteer, maybe not, you know, make, vote for a third party candidate, maybe just not get excited, not, not really get revved up, make sure that they don't invite you or tell their friends in swing states to vote, that sort of thing. There was definitely a sense of complacency, like she's got this. Why, why do I matter? Especially right. if I'm in a state that's like definitely going to go blue. So Comey kind of changed that. And I think people started to see, okay, she's vulnerable, like game on. And so even that weekend before the election, the number of people that we had coming into the state, wanting to help out, wanting to bang on doors, wanting to make calls, wanting to make their presence known, dramatically increased. So that's how I felt like there was definitely a sense of urgency. Even so much to the point where there were some areas where we had more people than we had doors to knock on. We were literally wow. knocking on doors three or four times, which is a great place to be. Uh, then the day before the election, Monday, okay, so the micro, day before the election, there was another issue going on in Philadelphia particularly, and that is there was a transportation strike. The, yes. So Pennsylvania is actually a pretty purple estate. In fact, it's really not a surprise, honestly, that it went the way that it did because it's most of Pennsylvania, the demographics 
favor Republicans and favor Trump. But there are a few really powerful pockets throughout the state mm -hmm. that turn it blue. And Philadelphia is the biggest, bluest, strongest pocket there is. So Philadelphia is really critical for Democrats to turn Pennsylvania blue. But there was a transportation strike in Philadelphia that started a few days before the election. And as of Monday, like Sunday night, it had not been resolved yet. Yeah. So we were going into Tuesday not knowing whether or not people could use the subway to get around. And again, there was no early vote. It's either, There's one shot at it. And although the weather was great and it wasn't like too cold, which is wonderful... I mean, traffic was terrible. You know, buses weren't running. Are people in that kind of situation really going to take the extra step, make the extra trip out to the polls, especially if they feel like I'm in a state that seems to always go blue and she's got this. So we're really worried about that. And Monday, you know, was, was Monday morning was pretty scary, but they finally resolved the subway strike. And on Monday, they were slowly getting the subways and the buses back together. And then Tuesday, they were like fully operational. And that was just like a breath of fresh air. So then the day before the election, we're feeling really good, really great, because we had these series of really strong events. It seemed like people had a sense of urgency that we really needed them to have. Mm -hmm. Felt like the complacency was waning. Oh, Comey came back and said, oh, psych, yeah. nothing really here. So, right. So we, it felt like we're getting a momentum back. Subways were reopening. Great. We're really, really strong. So it felt like going into Tuesday, it was like, great, like... All engines are firing. This is it. This is what we came here for. Feeling really good about it. And then as we got to, I remember for me, I just remember personally around five o'clock, mm -hmm. my mood really shifted. And I couldn't really explain why, but I just got this like sense of panic. Yeah. And there was really nothing. I, I didn't, I, you know, uh, some friends would say that I'm empathic, whatever. Like, but like, I just, I really just felt like just something, just something hit. So, but, you know, I was like, we've done everything we can do. There's nothing really else we can do now. And just pressing forward. And then the polls closed. And I went to the Pennsylvania State Watch Party. And so, you know, all the elected officials, everybody in Pennsylvania was like the official party, went there and started watching the returns. And going into this, I actually thought that... You know, we had a really strong position. We kind of expected to lose Ohio, but we could still lose Ohio and Florida and win. Yeah. If you won Pennsylvania and everything else kind of stayed the same. And North Carolina could still be the icing on the, on, on, on the cherry. So we were going into this with a very strong position. Mm -hmm. So even as returns were coming in and Florida looked really tight, I was like, oh, it's fine. And I remember I was with friends and they were starting to freak out a little bit. I said, it's good, 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 yeah. good, we're good, we're good. And then like another, you know, some other states came in red. And I was like, it's a, we're fine, we're fine. Like we weren't going to win those anyway. And then I think when I saw how close it was in Virginia, and we were down for such a long time, which is pretty typical in Virginia because Virginia is a lot like Pennsylvania in that it's really pockets of blue, and the and the the biggest pocket is around the Washington D.C. area, and that's always the last area to be counted. So Virginia is always kind of slow to turn, but. It just felt really slow yeah. and people were really starting to get depressed and really starting to panic. And then when we saw how close that was, I was like, okay, this is not... This could be bad. Yeah, this could be really bad. So it started... So Virginia came in. We barely won that. And then that was like around 8.30. And then that's when you could start to feel like there's a shift in the air. Yeah. I had friends and colleagues at Javits who, you know, getting sort of real time from them Javits was where the victory party was planned. Yes, which you know, I you know, which is to to kind of give it some context. 
what a night we were expecting to have. Javits is this huge convention center that holds tens of thousands of people, and it's made of glass. It's a glass ceiling. It's a, yeah, so it was literally like we were expecting an arena-style celebration with balloons and confetti. The and- most heartbreaking detail for me is that the confetti that they had ordered was meant to look like a bunch of glass shards yes. shattering in the yep. air. Yeah, and it was going to be like we were shattering the that glass ceiling. ceiling once and for all. And people from all over the country flew in. People that I'd worked with, you know, and been in the transit with for the last two years, supporters, everyone flew in for this moment, waited in line all day, yeah. 10 hours, 12 hours to get a spot in there, fought through it. And they were there watching the returns, and it was just, the, the, the it's like the ground fell out from underneath yeah. us. Was it quiet there? Were people telling you that? So, they were, like, yeah. So, well, you were telling me that people started to get really depressed and they started to leave early. Mm-hmm. Um, I got there at around one o'clock. So I left Philadelphia. I, I couldn't, I, I mean, I'm an optimist, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to keep hope alive until I die, you know, but you know, we're going to win this somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. So, but I did have to leave the Pennsylvania party because I, I couldn't be around the negativity anymore because I was trying to hold on to my optimism yeah. and just hearing people freak out was not great for me and my own energy. So in an effort of self care, mm-hmm. I just removed myself from the situation and I was just going to and, and, and made my way back to New York. Oh, yeah. I took a bottle of vodka with me. <laughs> and stashed in a water bottle and <laughs> drank plenty of water on my way on the train ride back and got to New York and got to Javits. And yeah, it was really, by that time, people had left and those that were there were really dejected. I remember one of my friends, uh, she's on staff and she got there early and she was on stage. I guess they want to have like a lot of the staff on stage as a mm-hmm. way to celebrate the fact that this was really a team effort. Team effort yeah. and, I, and I have to give it to Hillary and all the way down, campaign manager all the way down. This was never really about her. This campaign was never really about her. It was all about the team and it was all about the country and it was all about the kind of country we wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes into how rough that night was because we were beginning to really question what kind of country we are. Yeah. I um, want to get back yeah. to that, but tell me, like, what, yeah. like, when, when you knew it was over, when, when, when over. did you know it was over, mm. and what was that like? And were you mad that Hillary didn't come talk to you guys? Like, what did that? Mm. Talk me through that moment. I think around two o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. when we had whew, we had like lost Pennsylvania, lost Michigan, lost Wisconsin. That's when we knew it was effectively over. Yeah. However. I don't think I personally was not upset that Hillary didn't come out and speak to us. Mm-hmm. One, because I think we were fighting, hoping, anything, squeezing it out mm-hmm. to the bitter end. That's what you do. Didn't want to believe it was over. And and I'm just going to speak to myself, could you blame her? No, I mean, not at all. What, I mean, I just... I don't like, at all. Yeah, no. I just... I, I couldn't. Yeah. I, I mean, just on a human level... If somebody else was like, I'll go out there and make a statement and thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. I, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't. I so couldn't. I, I'm going to ask you a question and I, yeah. well, I'll preface this by saying, I really hope the answer to this question is yes. Was she actually throwing things and cussing people out? <laughs> Cause that's what, that's what right wing news sources are saying. Well, first I'm going to say, consider the source, <laughs> right? They want to paint Hillary as 
a spoiled, ego-driven, passion-driven she-devil. It goes right into that narrative of her being crazy and unhinged. So, like, consider the source, which, you know, I I think is ironic because they, in effect, elected somebody who is advocating torture and doesn't know what is going on in the world, wants to jail his, his political opponents, and and freaks out on a regular basis freaks on Twitter. Out on Twitter, uh, you know, has meltdowns on Twitter. So you know, again, consider the source. This is yeah. you know, consider the source. But again, I go back. Even if she did, would you blame her? Exactly. Would you blame her? <laughs> what? I say, I hope she what? was. I hope she lost her shit. Like, I hope she finally she lost I her like, shit. Would you, would you blame? And I will say that that is something about Hillary that I think. You start to get glimpses of it towards the end. She, and, and I think it's because when you, when she, when the backup is against a wall, like in the primary, mm-hmm. that's when she just really comes out. In person, she is so warm and so nice and so personable and so real and so down to earth. And I think it's, that's hard to come out on television for a couple of reasons. And, you know, I've worked with the Clintons for a really long time. I was there in 2000 in the first one, but I don't think I really understood it until now. One is when you have dozens of people literally analyzing everything that you say on TV, mm-hmm. you're going to be cautious about everything that you say, number one. Number two, what Barack Obama and Bill Clinton do so well, that coming off so effortlessly relatable, that is so challenging. And mm-hmm. it is really one of their gifts. Yeah. I mean, when you think about all the famous people in general, how many of them really make you feel like you are the most important person? Like they, you can talk to them, you can go up to them at any time, you you get it, you relate to them. That's pretty extraordinary. And, and they just have that innate charisma that Hillary that, just they, doesn't yeah, really have. Yeah, and they but, have that innate charisma, but that's what makes them extraordinary. And, you know, so she doesn't have that. Or she or or I don't think it comes across on TV. I actually think she has it in person. Yeah. But again, like not everybody can like, you know, hang out with her in person. But it's there. But I think to get that to come out mm-hmm. it, uh, on TV is 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 difficult. And I, and I will say this, and and I, I think about it a lot because you know we do other things. We teach. We're mm-hmm. in fitness, and and or, and, and, and you, you do a, you're a fantastic actress. <laughs> but it's about almost think about like performing. Like you're you make your money when you're able to make each and every take or each and every class feel like your very first class like you are your most excited like those people are like your best friends and your ability to be able to turn that on and turn that off and point it in particular directions that's how you make your money but it takes practice 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 you you know you didn't become the amazing instructor that you are just overnight and it's the same thing with i think being a political person in front of lots of people. It's very difficult. So anyway, I, I just, I, I really do, I really understand it now, seeing at the level that I saw it. And I, I think I respect it so much on a human level. So anyway, so two o'clock in the morning, it's effectively over. We go to bed, wake up in the morning. I think it's a nightmare, but it's real. And, you know, it's so funny. I had so many plans, like, for that day, things I was going to do. And and it was just so difficult to just kind of get up out of bed. I, I felt a lot of different emotions. But I did get up. I went up and I took a fitness class with my friend Danielle. I really wanted to just move my body and get sweaty and do something different. And then um, and then we got the email about the concession speech. 
give a concession speech around 10 o'clock in the morning at a hotel in downtown New York. And that's when it was real. Yeah. And, and you could see it in her eyes. You could see she, you know, she held it together for us because everybody was a mess. Everybody yeah. was a mess. Yeah. But the fact that she stood up there and she was she smiled and she smiled and she was poised. She wore purple. I mean, to just show the idea of like coming together, yeah, yeah, yeah. she said, "You know, Donald Trump is going to be our next president," which you know I think had to hurt her more than almost anybody else. Asking people to give him a chance. And then, and this is something that still sort of sticks with me, because I know that this was really the lifeblood of the campaign, and I think was going to be one of the guiding missions of her presidency, regardless of however difficult it was or how it ended up. But when she said, you know, little girls, don't oh, doubt yeah. that you have, I'm not doing a direct quote, but it was in essence- You have that value. You, you have, you have yeah. value. You, are, you, you have things to contribute. You are strong and you can do anything in this world. Yeah. You know, there are people who look up to that and saw someone that looked like them succeeding. And it gave them hope that not just that they could be president, but whatever situation that they were in, they could get out of that too, and they could be anything that they want to be. Yeah. There are so, I mean, I cannot express in words how powerful it is to see someone that even resembles something like you to look up to, yeah. to fight for, and strive for. And as women, as marginalized communities in this country, it is so powerful. I just remember growing up and saying, I want to be president in the United States in fifth grade. Like, you're yeah. always asked what you want to do. And and the little boy next to me said he wanted to be president of the United States. And I thought, that would be really good. I want to be president of the United States. And the teacher looked at me and said, you will never do that. No way, really? You will never do that. The Black best, or white teacher? Uh, but <laughs> you will never do that. <sighs> the best you will be is maybe a senator. Oh, my God. Or maybe uh. be the first black president. But I don't know. You'll probably just be a senator or a statesman. This happened throughout, because I was always in love politics, and this happened yeah. throughout high school, and I would say, I want to be this. You'll never be that. Oh, no. Mm -mm, mm -mm. <sighs> you know, or my nephew, who is half black, half Latino, you know, when Barack Obama was elected, he was so young, I don't, he didn't really quite grasp, like, the magnitude of the situation, but, but he did get one thing, and I'll never forget it. He said he looked at Barack Obama, like, when he looked at Barack Obama, he said, he looks like me. Mm -hmm. And so when you see oh, that some, photo of that, yes, of the, of that, that little boy, boy with the hair, hair. he oh. has my hair. How many times have I had to hear people say, you don't have hair or you're ugly or you're this. So you know, you never be anything. You never amount to anything, but just to be able to say, he looks like me. Now the possibilities for my life are now opened up. Amplified. I don't have to be restricted to just whatever entertainment some company wants to put out there and to put me in a box. I don't have to be, you know, just a rap star or the basketball player. Oh, people will love to say you could be a basketball player. Oh, sure. Yeah. But a businessman. Oh, what? No, I find that. So I find that so depressing to hear you say that because I, because I remember having an argument with my grand, my racist grandmother mm. about 
why a black man, she never thought about a woman being president, but why a black man would never be president. She was trying, I, I'm always like maybe eight or nine years old. Yeah. And I was, I was saying, nanny, that's not true. And she's like, well, they just don't have the brain capacity to, but you know, that, like, they, they re she really thought that. But that's one thing for a white, you know, 80 year old to say to an eight year old white girl for a black or a white, any, any teacher of yours, right. an authority figure in your life to tell you, no, you can't do it. That breaks my heart. But, but it happens all the time. And, and the thing is that it's so ingrained in our culture. And, and as, and as a man, I, I thought I was, I never thought I had anything against, you know, women. I thought I'm so progressive. Yeah. But being on this campaign actually revealed to me the cultural and socialized misogyny that I have. Hmm. The, 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 and just the little ways of, of how I put women into a stereotypical box that's meant to other them or demean hmm. them. Or, or diminish their power. I mean, for example, you know, how, how, how you just said, you know, was it true she was throwing things and having a fit? Yeah. Could you, I mean, could you blame her if she yeah. was, right? Like if, if, think about it, if it was a man that like got upset and was getting angry because he lost an election for the highest office in the country that they ran for twice, spent a billion dollars doing, worked every, I mean... Well, that's why I said right, I, right, I, right, I, I preface right. this by saying I hope yeah. the answer is yes. No, but, I hope, but, no, but, 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 the, but the fact that that would even be used as like yeah. a line of an attack for yeah. someone is like, like you just think to yourself, like if if if, if this were a man, like yeah. or, or a white man, like would we even, would we even think that that was a problem? But because it's a woman who's wants yeah. to lead a leadership position, oh, she's seen as unstable. She's seen as emotional and irrational. So it's, it's, it's little, it's little sort of, you know, microaggressions that are sort of socialized in the way in which we think about the world around us yeah. that, um, that I became much more aware of. Or, or classic example for me. I used to always throw around the word bitch. Oh, that's my bitch. Hey, bitch. <laughs> oh, don't be, don't be bitch. <laughs> you know, and thinking that, oh, well, you know, thinking that it was innocuous, people would, you know, get it. Yeah. But, it, you know, being on this campaign and, and learning a little bit more about, again, how words and the way we are socialized is meant to demean and depower. You know, I stopped using that and stopped referring mm -hmm. affectionately to people as, 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 as bitch, knowing that it, that, um, its root is in something that's, you know, negative. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and that's just like one like small example of how I choose to think that I just opened up we changed, evolved a little bit. You know, I will never, you know, refer to a female friend of mine, you know, as bitch even passing. Maybe if we have a couple of drinks and we'll go back. <laughs> I mean, you know, all, all with the reason. But like, but that's something that I really had to kind of really yeah. mind. I want to talk more about, so I was, so election day for me. Okay, yes. It was my birthday. I turned 50. <laughs> it was my 50th well, hey. fucking birthday on election day. And I was so excited. I had my parents here. I had Calvin's mm -hmm. parents here. I got to teach that morning. Yes. It was a Tuesday. What was your mood like? Okay, so, oh, so like, yes. leading up to it, yes. two days before, like leading up to so, it. So. Uh, so leading up to it, so, so it's, you know, a few weeks before, I was feeling really confident and really yeah. great. And then coming up to the election, I started the same thing you. I started having a little pit in my stomach. Mm -hmm. I started seeing 538. I mean, you know, I'm like obsessively right. refreshing 538 over and over. And I was listening to every podcast Everyone. I could get my hands on. And Nate Silver really put the fear of God into me when he was like, you know, Donald Trump could win and let me, yes. you know, and, and I was like, that's when I really kind of started getting a little scared, but I still felt pretty confident. And I woke up that morning, you know how it is on, on Facebook, like your, yeah. your birthday explodes overnight. You wake up, there's all these messages. I 
went to my polling place at 6 a.m. on the dot because I wanted to she be was the first vote. person. I wanted to be the first person. She was going to get this in. In line. Not forget. I didn't get to be the first person, but I was close. I was like number five. I voted. I got my aunt. I voted. I had my nasty woman t-shirt nasty. on. I had my <laughs> sticker on. I went and taught um, a class. All like feminist power anthems. My husband came to class. My father was there. Um, It was just really glorious. I felt really great. And I felt pretty good throughout the day. I had my cycling audition that day, and mm. I got to approve to see cycling, cycling at Equinox. So we had dinner plans. You were just killing it. I had all a whole day. You day. were just uh, all day of just slaying it, uh, right? Yeah, slaying it. So. We had dinner at one of my favorite restaurants, and then we went. I went to a big gay watch party over at Scott and Alex's house. Okay. And I felt pretty good until Virginia and my yep. niece Snapchatted me, and she was like, "She's like this," and she goes, "Here we go." And I was like, "Oh God!" And I, I'm like, "No, honey, no, 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 no." And I'm like, "I got good intel from the inside. It's going to be Hillary by 330 votes, um, you know, by for Something, you know, right? like Something. electoral college." And then as it, it it was about, it was like around between like 8:30 and 10:30, we all just got very quiet. My husband at one point goes, like, "Time for the second bottle of wine." Opens another bottle of wine, and somewhere at about one or two in the morning that's when we really i don't remember exactly what it was it wasn't i don't think it we saw that donald had gotten the call yet but there was we just knew it was over and at that point christy our friend christy hits hits our donald trump pinata with a, a champagne bottle i came over i saw what was i was crying on my husband's shoulder in the corner i have video of this i'll post this video because yeah. it's hilarious um i want actually i want you to get it to hillary <laughs> so funny because you can see me kind of look over and see mm. what's going on with the pinata i come oh, stomping God. over there with my high heels on and i literally do you watch the walking dead yes okay i neganed donald trump's head yes. <laughs> yes. um i mean like over and over i must have stomped it like 20 times and can we just talk for i mean i know we want to keep it positive yeah but can we just talk about how good that felt because oh my god it I felt did, so good i did the same thing i through my phone, I shattered <laughs> the shit out of it. Aww. I mean, and I had to get a new phone. No, but it felt so good. It did. No, you'll see me oh, like I so like good. I'm crying, and I look over at Scott. And I'm like, this feels good. And then he goes, How do you feel, Darby? How do you feel? And I'm like, I'm better. Yeah, I feel better. Better. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you had to take some just, physical stuff just, out, and that's, I think that's okay. I think yeah. that's okay. But so then, then Kelvin and I came back here. We flipped on the TV and, and Trump was speaking. And I was like, no. I can't, I can't, I can't watch it. I went to bed and I had that, you know, that I feel honestly like this whole experience has felt to me like when somebody you love dies or you have a breakup and yeah. you have that moment when you wake up in the morning and you feel okay for about 30 seconds right. and then you remember and then you start Everything weeping Everything started flooding in, yes. And I had gotten Hamilton tickets. Uh. People, <laughs> people who know me know how much I love Hamilton. This was my third time to see it. And I had bought tickets for my parents and me. I spent $700 on my tickets. I was going to say, so you just, you were buying just, I you got my parents cash, house seats. So I used my connection to get house seats for my parents. And then I paid my, I paid $700 for a ticket. And I had bought those tickets thinking that I was going to be comforting my parents getting through, like they didn't want Donald Trump to win, but they really hate Hillary. And that's a whole other story, but they didn't vote for Donald Trump, by the way. I was thinking that I was going to be consoling them. And it was like, I, I could, I had a physical therapy appointment that morning. I had to call in depressed. I couldn't go for it. I almost, I was even like, I was looking at Kelvin going, I don't even want to see Hamilton. I was so. Oh, now hold on that girl. Hold on. <laughs> hold on now. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt, though. I was I mean, that depressed. I was upset, but I would have pulled it together for some Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> I might have. 
I might have been in there with a box of tissue. Oh, so I, I was. <laughs> I it was about. <laughs> I was supposed to meet my parents in front of the theater at noon to get their tickets. I am in the cab. That's when Hillary is conceding, and I can't quite hear what's going on. But yeah. Ryan is texting me updates of what's going on. So I'm weeping in the cab. I get to the to Hamilton. I get my parents' tickets. I go to the the usher or whatever the the door guy. And I'm like, um, are they going to do a ham for ham today? He's like, no. <laughs> Ham for Ham is on Wednesdays. They usually come out and do a little like funny thing for the crowd who are there waiting for lottery tickets and yada, yada, yada. Well, it was raining because God was crying. And the, and the guy was like, no, they are not doing ham for ham today. And I was like, okay. And then my parents and I went for lunch. I, I started drinking at noon. And then I, we, I, we saw Hamilton and I will say this, that I actually was really happy that we, that I was there that Mm -hmm. day because it was the first show after the election. They, I, I know now that the cast had a meeting before, before the show and kind of had like a, like a group therapy session, yeah. you know, because a lot of those people, most of those people are, are black and brown and gay. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and I, you know, and I just, I just want to say like, to your point, I mean, shout out and snaps to Castle Hamilton because they yeah. lifted some serious water for Hillary. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. I yeah. mean, they did special shows to raise money for the campaign. Yeah. They did a special event for voter registration. I mean, yeah. They went to work, yeah. you know, for for her. And, and you for, could feel that yeah. in the room so. that day. Like, I, there are certain lines in the show, for those of you who are not familiar with it, there are, are lines like, um, when they're talking about the Declaration of Independence, they say, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created mm-hmm. equal. And when I'm at Thomas Jefferson, I'm a compelling to include yes, women in yes. the sequel. And the place erupted. Yeah. Um, immigrants, we get the job done. Yes. Place erupted. Um, freedom, something they will never take away. Everyone is cheering crying I'm sitting away from my parents so I'm like two rows down I have a strange stranger complete stranger next to me who's there with her daughter and this is where I will start crying again we were like holding hands and like comforting each other and I was really happy to be in that room um but yeah it was a shitty day It was a, it was a shitty day. I can I can only imagine. And you were the person I really wanted to like see, you know, and then reach out to, because not only did you work on the campaign, but you tick, you know, a couple of boxes of people who could really be under threat in this new existence, which is that you're black and you're gay. So how do you feel about surprise, your... mom? How do you feel about your prospects now in this? Like, what? Are, like, what are you? Like, what? Take me through a doomsday scenario. How okay. bad could it be? Well, uh, so yes, Trump targeted very specific people, but I actually want to pull it back a little bit. This is a travesty for all of America. This is not just a Republican issue or Democrat issue. Uh, I uh, so I love politics and. I have worked in it a really long time. The swing from Republican to Democrat is real. Yeah. Republicans are not terrible people. No. They're not, they're not awful people. They have a, a just, they believe or work for a different broad set of ideas, but they are patriots and they believe in this country. And historically speaking, all things being equal, this really should have been a year for Republicans to win. Right. Historically, it's very difficult for a party and presidential power to get a third term. Also, too, Democrats have cons- consistently lost in the midterm elections and, uh, right. leading up to this point. And the Republicans... Even, you know, before Donald Trump sort of trickled up to the top, um, were 
passionate about this year and taking back the White House. So the enthusiasm and the motivation were definitely on their side. So for lots of different factors, like this really was a year for Republicans. So even if it like, had been a normal candidate, you would expect that a, well, right. a normal candidate would win. But right. Donald Trump. And, and I think and, I, and that's why I really want to pull back this. This is someone who this is not even a Republican or Democrat thing. So, like, for example, I don't think I would be here if it were, like, you know, heaven forbid a Mike Pence or even a John Kasich, right? This, Donald Trump is something completely and totally different. First and foremost, and it's not new. We've seen this before. Mm. This is Idi Amin. Mm. This is Mugabe. This is, you know, Partizuma. This is Assad. This is Putin. We have seen strong men in this country, in this world before. We, this is not new. He speaks like a strong man. He speaks like a dictator. He is blatantly incompetent. Yeah. Has managed to insult, divide almost every group except for white men. And it is very troubling. I think for the state of our democracy and his rise to in his in his rise to the presidency is on the steps of insults, yeah. lying, obfuscation, shadiness. And he even said he was engaging uh, in voter suppression. He, he called voters, it that. He called vo- it voter oh, yeah. suppression. Voter, I mean, voter suppression. That's the other. I mean, and that's that's something that we really got to talk about. Yeah. Voter suppression. <laughs> Literally, actually working to keep people from voting by, A, making Hillary Clinton so repulsive that people would just be turned off by her. But then, two, also working to close through various loopholes in the Voting Rights Act that no longer exist, that that, that have been gutted out, Mm -hmm. closing polling locations in communities of color. 836 polling stations gone. Making it more difficult for people of color to vote. Mind you, this is a constitutional right that people have fought, bled for, some have died, died for. to died forget, died to get, making it difficult. Again, not for people in general, yeah. but specifically people of color. And that's not my opinion. That is federal court judges, state judges, yeah. state judges saying this. So, and I think what scares me and what makes a Donald Trump presidency so sad is that what does that now say about how you become powerful in this country? And what does it take to be present at this country? And in public service, which does require people to, to, to be altruistic and to, and to sacrifice and to think of others than themselves because public service is very grueling and it doesn't pay a lot compared to what other people can do. What kind of people are we now going to get to run for office? What kind of people now are going to want to be elected officials and to serve. That is very scary to me. And it's very sad. I think it, it takes something that used to be a very noble profession, a profession that we could look up to and admire and want to aspire to be like, and who a position where individuals represented our values as a country or as a community, if it was a local election and totally, I think, threw that out the window and has made it something else. This is the office of Lincoln, (laughs) of Kennedy, of Teddy Roosevelt, FDR, Barack Obama, (sighs) George Washington. That's the type of esteem that we hold. You know, that's, that's what we're talking about here. And, and it has, I feel it's just been defiled. 
And it's, and that's what makes me so sad. What does that say about our country? Yeah. So that, I want to bring us back to election night. Yeah. Cause one of the okay. things that I, that I, on Facebook when, we, when I was, I, I think my, I think my exact post was, Hey America, what the fuck? And then, um, and then we, and during, in the comments, you know, people were engaging back and forth. And I said, gosh, this is just not the country that I thought I knew. And one of my gay mm-hmm. friends immediately commented and said, that's funny. This is always the country that I knew. And he Oops. grew up in Indiana. And then, and then the next two days later, I saw Amber Huff, Ruffin from Seth Meyers show. She's a black woman, a comedy writer. And she got on and she gave a whole spiel about how this is what black people have been dealing with for all these years. And yes. he's like, hey, white people, join the fun. Yeah. Come on in. Now, now it's you out know. there. Yeah. And, and now, so say, yeah. talk about that. Yeah, no, I think Is that this is... the country you thought you knew? Girl, yes, because, you know, I, I get it. Like, I, it, it's, but I didn't want to, again, I'm hopeful and optimistic, but I'm not surprised right and this is not new this is not like an aberration this has been something that's been building and growing for a while so no it really doesn't surprise me and i think that the over racist acts that we're seeing are merely just an iteration of the microaggressions and the secret acts of racism and misogyny and anti-semitism that has been going on for a while but i think it's not been taboo to 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 be overt about it well now it's been given permission to go right out to, to be open about it which is another very sad and scary thing but again silver linings keeping the optimism people are now seeing it and, yeah. they, and they're realizing it and that it's out there because they can't hide anymore. You can't hide a swastika in a playground yeah. in Brooklyn. You can't, you know, so, so yeah, I think it's so real. And, you know, and, and to that point, it's like, I think about my parents, my wonderful, very black parents and, and other people that I know who have been, I, I'm pretty sure, I, I know my parents didn't vote for Trump, yeah. but what I am very sensitive to to my parents and people who are like them, who is that, you know, they have experienced a tremendous amount of social and cultural change in a relatively short period of time. I mean, yeah. I just think about how much has changed since I was 18 years old and voting yeah. to where we are now. And so I can only think about like what it might be like for my parents. I mean, I, you know, I had, I had one friend, my parents age, you know, tell me, you know, when, when she was growing up, everything that she was told is wrong is now right. You know, homosexuality, gay marriage, the different transgender issues and on and on and on and on and on. And, and it's, and I know this person and I, and I know her heart and <laughs> no, no, but, but I mean, and I know that she's not a bad emotional person. I think, and she, I think she felt comfortable enough to tell me that, but she probably would not have told other people that. And I, and I sincere, and I respect that so much that she did share that with me because it did give me an opportunity to see that, oh, there is another side to this, that this is really jarring for a lot of people. This is an older white woman. This is really jarring for a lot of people. This is really scary for a lot of people. And, and they're not quite sure what country they live in anymore. And they're not bad people. They're not awful people. They're not terrible people. They're not hateful people. They're just people who are just trying to make sense of it all. And maybe nostalgic, maybe unsure, you know, that sort of thing. A lot of times I think that, you know, the people that don't realize the racism that they're socialized into mm-hmm. believing that, that, that the world that, in which they felt so comfortable in, particularly if they were white, particularly if they were white men, particularly if they were white straight men, was a cultural culture that was built on the idea that white men were the supreme, yeah. you know, race. Yeah. And everybody else was just sort of a tolerated guest. Again, that's not my words. Um, I, actually read Breitbart News. I think it's important to understand their opinions. I actually read the pamphlets 
visit the websites, listen in, streamline the conventions of the alt-right. This is what they believe. Like, you know, this is, this is what they say. And so it's real. And they say it's not, it's not racism. It's not white supremacy. They just think that people should be separate and that that white people should be able to have, should be able to celebrate their culture and their whatever. That's part of it. A lot of them believe that, yes, it should be separate. White people should be able to, to celebrate and be, be proud of their, their, their white culture, just like they perceive black people to be proud of their culture. I think what they, I think what that line of reasoning or argument does not acknowledge is that is that other cultures have been oppressed, suppressed, right. marginalized, and that they aren't fighting for anything greater than, but equal to, right. and they're fighting for acknowledgement. Yeah. And that much of what, you know, those white groups enjoy has been on the backs of other people. Right. And I, what I also think is, is interesting too, is that they, a lot of these people don't view themselves as hateful. They don't yeah, view themselves as like you know they would have no problems like so I have, you know no problems talking to me like you know the, you know like like my friends that come and talk to me about about these things and I'm really in a way I, I do feel really touched that they do feel comfortable enough to talk to me about it and makes mm-hmm. me think if we could have more conversations like this and 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 how can we foster that attitude because I think if more people talk yeah. things are going to change because because I, I think that you're not going to change somebody's mind in one conversation but three four over the time of them getting to know you you will. Yeah. It's like with coming out. The reason why it's so important to come out is because not just so that you get it off your chest, but that that as other people become more comfortable with knowing people who are gay, they see them in the workplace, they see them in our family, yeah. they'll be you know more comfortable with homosexuality. It, I think it's the same thing with with talking about these these cultural yeah. issues. I mean, the thing is for so, me, like I'm like my father, and I'm I'm so proud of my dad. I'm so proud that you didn't oh. vote for Trump because I think he was he was twite, quite torn. Go because he's, he, <laughs> he's a Republican, and mm. he and he he has a few issues with the changes that have happened. Yes. In America, he feels very, I would say, frustrated by the political correctness. He feels like he can't, mm. he can't put, you know, he can't talk about the, you know, like he's he's one that would probably like to use the word Islamic radical terrorism. And there's, a, he's been a lot of, he lives in Minnesota, yeah. where the Somali population yeah. has exploded. Very scary. And they lived in a, in a building. Or, and I'm sorry, for, it's not it's, scary. It's not scary, that, but it's scary yeah, yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, like yeah. I get that how that could be very because I, I have friends that live in Minnesota, friends that yeah. live in Maine that also has a large Somali population. Friends that live in Virginia that also has a smaller population, and they are like the, the the emotion that they describe to me is fear. I don't think it's scary, but I acknowledge that that is how they fear. Yeah, They'll my fear. mother gets frustrated because the the um, the women wouldn't make eye contact with her, and I'm like, gosh, they're probably scared of you. you scared, I mean, or different culture or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, the, um, so my father has lots of reasons that he he votes Republican. The economy. He feels like you know Obamacare is a disaster. That it's too expensive, and he feels like government is taking over all these areas mm. of people's lives. So he would never vote for Hillary. Would never vote for a Democrat. But he was willing to take a stand against voting for Donald Trump because I think he and I might be putting words in his mouth or making an assumption that's not true. But I think is that he realized that even if you're not a racist, misogynist, you know, Islamophobe yourself, if you vote for Donald Trump, you're saying that all that stuff is okay. Exactly. You're giving it you're giving it permission. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like Republicans like your dad are the ones that I I really thank because I know that that must have been really difficult. And I know that as a party, my, my sense is as a party, I feel like Republicans tend to be much more cohesive, much more organized. Yes, they you are. Know, I, you know, as yeah. a party, you know, they, 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 they make they, the phone calls. Exactly. And they have a champion and they always support that champion. And it was very difficult not to. And, you know, I just, I respect that so much because, because to be able to say, you know what, like as much as I, 
maybe don't like Hillary or as much as I maybe don't like, you know, where we're going. He voted as a for country. Evan McMullen. Yeah, so. right. Or, 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 you know? I, or as much yeah. as I don't like where this country is going, I do not believe that this person is what represents, you know, our values. And let's just be honest. I'm like, Donald Trump, you know, Republican girl. I'm, I know. <laughs> He's he's so, such a yeah, shyster. He's, he's so such a con sudden, man. You know, and I had to tell another one of my friends, you know, who's a Republican, totally opposite of your dad, all election long, you know, you know, my friend was telling me how, you know, this election is just, you know, such a shame. I mean, this is such an esteemed office and we're better than this as a country and blah, blah, blah. But then turn around and voted for Trump. And I was like, get off your self-righteous soapbox. Yeah. I mean, you are the biggest hypocrite. If you really felt like this was such an esteemed office and this and we, our values are represent more than what this election is demonstrating, then you should have just either abstained from voting or not have voted Donald Trump, voted down ballot, yeah. whatever else. But when you voted for Donald Trump, you endorsed that vision yeah. and that, those methods and those tactics. Let's call it what it is. And yeah. I think that we have got to hold people accountable for that. Your vote yeah. counts. What you did in that booth counts. Don't write it off. Don't normalize it. Don't sit up here and tell me, oh, well, he didn't mean it. <sighs> oh, how do you know he's real? How do you know he's not real? And if you want to question whether or not what he said in the campaign was real, if yeah. he's going to follow through on it, look at who he's, he's already picking. picking. Oh look God. at who he's already picking. Mm. Girl, his chief When he picks Mike Pence, that should have been enough. Oh, you know? oh, oh, we'll even go further than that. His chief strategist is a white nationalist. Yeah. What? Yeah. In the office, <laughs> his attorney general was deemed too racist for a <laughs> to be, state to, yeah, attorney to, general. Yeah, or yeah, yeah for, for a lower <sighs> position. So, and 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 let's be real. We are in a time when you have a significant portion of the population who is not feel comfortable engaging the police. We saw how rough it was when we had a black president and two black attorney generals. What you think it's going to be like with Donald Trump and Steve Bannon and Jeff Sessions making the rules? I mean, do you think that they, I mean, do you, do it's going to be rough. And to kind of get back to your point, I get scared because I think that I could see situations where people who are even perceived to be Black Black Lives Matters and those perceived to be like Black Lives Matter are going to be targeted as domestic terrorists. terrorist groups. My uncle says that it. he calls BLM domestic. Yeah. He goes, he goes, they're domestic terrorists. And he goes, ha, ha, I mean, parentheses, yeah. not all of them. He goes, but they're paid protesters. But I'm like, these are not true things that he said. I'm like, yeah. who's been on the ground with Black Lives Matter? You or me? But, I have yeah. marched with Black Lives Matter. Yeah. I got, I didn't get paid. And, and you're not a paid protester. And there's nobody yeah. telling me, whispering in my ear, that we want all cops in jail. Yeah, and that's not what it's and that's not what it's about. But those are the people who are in power. That's what they think, and they're going to yeah. use the levers of power and to to, to go against and, and attack those people. We our criminal justice system. There are real issues of racism. Yeah. In our criminal justice system, yeah. there is it is not make believe. That there are significant, that the population of our criminal justice, uh, of, our, of our prison system is overwhelmingly black and brown. Yeah. You know, that our communities are gutted, you know, due to issues with the criminal justice system. Yeah. And we have, we now have people in the previous administration, at least they acknowledged it, yeah. which is a first step yeah. and to getting efforts. This administration 
won't even acknowledge it. And if on a worst case scenario, I think they actually will encourage it because it helps to suppress. Donald Trump keeps saying he's going to be the law and order president. What does that mean? It means, yeah, and that's that's okay too. Uh, In in a system that targets, or at least if you want to be generous, at least discriminates against black and brown people. That is fucking scary and as a black body moving through this so, world, and jamal you can't see and, him but he's a big black man too uh, like not just not just a black guy big black guy so like doubly scary too i don't put my hood on for that uh, reason you know i mean no, but this is this is real like this is this is real for people yeah. and then and then i mean and let's just i mean let's just go down the line you want to talk about you know you know economics you know, black people, black women in particular, are the single largest demographic, uh, single largest small business owners as a demographic. Wow. Uh, right. I didn't know that. Right, right. Let's see how, I mean, let's see what happens there. I mean, you know, but because, but that's been done because there's been efforts to empower and engage that community to own business. Education, you know, opening up the education system. I mean, you want to talk about diversifying corporate America. You want to talk about diversifying some of the upper echelons of society. It starts in elementary school by opening up the education system. By when you say opening up the education system, well, what do you I, mean? By I, that? I mean by creating more opportunities for people of color to get mm-hmm. a quality education. Yeah. Because a lot of time, education is still tied. Public education is still tied to where you live. Yeah. And uh, people of color still predominantly live in. I want to just check my facts, but still significant by significant numbers live in communities that may be poor or. So that means less property yeah, yeah, taxes, exactly. less school taxes, yeah. less money going and, yeah. to those and schools. And even still, and even still, if the communities, if the communities are not quote unquote are technically, I mean, I, I even hate using these crude quote terms, but even still, schools, public school systems in communities of color, even if they're not poor communities, are not at the same level as comparable communities right. with. Uh, or of comparable uh, schools that are predominantly white in comparable low communities. So, I mean, there is clear, you know, the clear issues with how people are uh, that how people are educated, and um, there's also lines that can be drawn that show that where you live or, or what you look like can determine where you live right. and where you live determines again what kind of education you get, what kind of health care you get, yeah. what kind of access to services you get. And can determine whether you live or die. Mm-hmm. And part, I think part of what we have to do as a society is we have to break those things down. And I think, you know, giving, you know, I, I will say a couple things about, you know, sort of Republicans. I think that there is something to be said about, I think that economics can be used in part to help lift people up. I mean, at the end of the day, green is green. And if mm-hmm. you can, you know... And, and if you can afford to live in a better neighborhood, if you can afford better services, that's great. But the, but the playing field isn't equal for everyone. Yeah. And that's what we have to really, like, address. And, you know, and, and just, I will others say this about, you know, the election, too, and something that your dad, that you said your dad brought up. Maybe we have become too PC. Maybe we have become too soft. Maybe we have become too scared to offend people. And maybe we just have to put shit out there and call it like it is and get in people's faces. Yeah. Even if it, even if it means that we, even if it means that those people might think that we're being rude or crude or offensive, maybe it's time we just say, well, fuck you. This is kind of like yeah. how I see it. And I'm going to put it in your face, even if it makes you a little uncomfortable. Clearly, it's enough to get elected president. Maybe it's enough in our local areas. Yeah. I'm still kind of wishy-washy on that. Like, but I, I really do feel like that maybe that is something that like is 
a tactic that we now have to. Well, even I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty like lefty lefty, but I, even I'm like the concept of like trigger warnings makes me insane. Mm. I'm like, really need a trigger warning. I want you to like right. have it on your ceiling that it reads up on this thing. Life is unfair and hard. You still have to get up and do Me- shit. Medals for 11th <laughs> place. I was at, I was at yeah. competition for these kids and they were hated out ribbons for 11th place. Bitch, there ain't no, we see, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is where I feel like it's a good use of the word, but there ain't no such thing as 11th place. Yeah. First, second, maybe third. You either win or you don't. That's yeah. life. Yeah. And that is what teaches you yeah. to get, but failing is what teaches you to get stronger. But I think that, I think, you know, again, silver yeah. lining of this election, I think that it maybe has brought out this idea that we are a little too soft and we are mm-hmm. a little too, you know, we're too concerned about coddling people and making sure that everybody feels comfortable and feels okay at the risk of shielding them, shielding them from the realities yeah. of, of the harshness of life, that life is harsh. And there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And it's up to you to decide in part where you're going to be and the, and the part that you that's not up to you because there's other factors. You need to tear that shit down. Yeah. You need to figure out what those things are and break them down. All right. So speaking of tearing shit down, yes. this is the part where we tra- this is the part where we, we shift sort of mood and we're going to go into. So it's been three weeks now. Like, three li- weeks. Literally, exactly three weeks, right? This is, what 20- is this, Tuesday? This is yeah. the 29th. This is three weeks. Mm. So now is the time to start planning and doing what the things that we have to do to make sure that this is the last time that Donald Trump or anyone like him is our president. And more importantly, how we handle the down ballot races that actually affect the way that you experience your life even more. Right. So what do we do? What can we do? Okay. So here's what we do. First and foremost, do not normalize this shit. This is not okay. Yeah. This is not how this should go. And when anybody tells you, oh, it's going to be okay, let's wait and see how it should be, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, I want you to look that person in the face, put a finger in their (laughs) eye and say, fuck you, no, this is not, no, I will not normalize this. Because I really think that we have to remain shocked. Mm -hmm. Remember how you felt on election night. Remember how devastated that felt. Remember how you questioned what kind of country we were in. Bottle those feelings up, write them down if you have to. And anytime you feel like thinking, mm, maybe everything is going to be okay. Maybe he'll be all right. Maybe I'll just sit back. I want you to pull that piece of paper out. I want you to remember those feelings and I want you to get up and I want you to start fighting because we cannot let this be normal. And this is not about a democratic thing. It's not about a Republican thing. It's about an American thing. Do it because you just fucking love America. So one, don't normalize it. Two, remain hopeful. Let us not forget, by now, she has over 2 million more popular votes than Donald Trump, which means that there are more of us than there are of them. And to break it down even more, those that voted for him aren't even that crazy about him anyway. 60% of them, if if I'm just remembering my polls right, could be different by now, don't think he's competent. Don't think uh, he's qualified. Has a don't temperament. Think he, don't think he has. A, don't think he's competent. Don't think he's qualified. Don't think he has a temperament. Don't like him. Yeah. I mean, do not like him. But apparently, they were willing to overlook all of that and yeah. perform anyway. And they I mean, and they just wanted to fuck shit up, right? They just wanted to like burn people, it all down. A lot of people. Oh, and that's the other thing too. Kind of keep that in mind too. A lot of people voted for him because they wanted this right here. They wanted the revolution. They wanted the system blown up, and they wanted people riled up. Yeah. And maybe that's a silver lining too, you know, yeah. like, so we're kind of getting what we wanted. And so, you know, confront those things, take hope, take hope in the fact that like, 
there's more of us out there than are, than are, are of him. Mm-hmm. Also take hope in the fact that our institutions, you know, are relatively durable. We survived Nixon. We survived McCarthy. Mm-hmm. You know, when, I, you know, when I, when I get scared about what it means to be a black man or a gay man in this society, I think back to the freedom writers. I think back to MLK. I think back to John Lewis, who sent me a really nice note right before the election. <laughs> but these are people who, I mean, when they were my age, you were, they were in the fight. Yeah. Right. I mean, talk about being marginalized and oppressed. And that's when the whole government and society and media were against you. Yeah. And they were literally bashed upside the head, bled, had dogs sicked on them. And now, and look how far we've come in just those, in just those decades. Look yeah. how far we've come in just the last 25 years. So as MLK says, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it does like bend towards justice. Yeah. We will get there. It might not be a straight line. But we'll get there. Mm-hmm. And now let's get tactical. Yeah. First of all, understand everybody has something that they can do. I don't care if you're <laughs> Oprah and you've got hundreds of millions of followers or you're like my girl, uh, one of my dear friends who lives in California. She's got triplets, so she's got things to do, right? right. Like she's right. not going to be out on the front line, you know, with, with, with a pitchfork. Got it. But even she has found a way to engage. Everybody has something they can do. First and foremost, it's understanding that you've got a platform. It's your friends. It's the people around you. It's your community. Speak up. Engage. Just like we were talking about earlier, don't worry about being PC. Speak your truth. Mm. And don't be discouraged if the first time you say something, people don't get it. People aren't going to get things the first time you tell them. It it might be the second, third, or fourth time they hear it. And you might not even be there. Just know that you're planting a seed. You're just the first tick. And maybe somebody else will come along that will finally twist it for them. Think about when we were younger. How many times did your parents have to tell you something before you're finally like, oh, wait, now I get what they were talking about. I think it's the same thing in these situations. So understand you've got a platform. Speak up. Speak out. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid. Don't think that like your voice doesn't matter. Even if your platform is a person of one and it's like my friend Shandra has the triplets, it's just someone in her neighborhood that said something and she spoke up about it because she knows better or had a had, was questioning something and because she knows better, she spoke up and she spoke out about it. Because what's really going to change people is not flipping people Democrat or Republican. Again, this is not even about that. It's about hearts and minds. It's about opening up people to the possibility that Difference is okay. Otherness is okay. Working together is okay. Coming together is okay. And if you want an example of how powerful it is, think about the gay rights decision in the Supreme Court. John Roberts was a deciding factor in that, who was supposed to be the conservatives champion on the Supreme Court. He flipped because he knows people who are gay and it was personal for him. His heart and mind changed. It's the same thing here yeah. and it's interesting. I think I'm just gonna day. I'm just gonna say one more nice thing yeah. about my father that yeah. I really respected I him it. for. So he he we're from Texas. Yeah. And I think part of the part of the reason that we left Texas was because he wanted us to grow up in a in a place that wasn't racist and mm-hmm. that we could be more open minded. But he's got still he's got some friends down there that are still 
racist and who would occasionally send my father these, you know, like an Obama eating watermelon or a witch doctor Obama or some kind of racist Obama stuff. My father stood up and said, listen, I don't want you to send me this stuff anymore. You know, amazing. I I don't find this funny. I don't want to, I, you know, he he's not an Obama supporter by any stretch, but he, but he, he had the balls to stand up and say, please don't send me this stuff anymore. Even just, even just taking a stand like that. that I just, that's that, that is how you, we have to not be, we can't be complacent and let people do this. Exactly. not, it's not a Democrat thing. It's not no. a Republican thing. It's human decency. It's because yeah. we are better than this and we are going to affirm that we're better than this in every little, in our everyday actions and behaviors. Yeah. We're going to stand up against the misogyny and the racism and the sexism and the, and, and the Islamophobia and the divisiveness, whether we're Republican or we're Democrat, because as Americans, mm-hmm. we're better than this. We are better than this. We're not going to let Trump get away with riding the free press or opposition press. Not because we always agree with the uh, what New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever, but it's because free press is better than no press or just getting, you know, or uh, getting whatever opposition or whatever he wants to put out there. So I'm really hoping that there are going to be Republicans like John McCain, Lindsey Graham, Rand Paul, who are going to oppose Trump. Who else are people that we should be calling? What are the Republicans should we be calling to ask them to stand up to Trump's craziness? Well, I mean, well, he, well here's the thing. I just want to, I think that's absolutely right. But I also want to say it's right. You don't have to go to Washington. You don't have to point to anybody else. It mm. starts with you. Mm. It starts with your next door neighbors. Who can you, what can you do right here in, in the Lower East Side to start changing minds? You can write, right? People, people love to, especially if, if you can't go out and you can't do anything or you're in a remote area, you can write something, post it on a blog site, post it on your LinkedIn, post it on Medium, post it on QWERTY, get it out there, share your experiences. You know, and, and I think, I think, and it's also a great outlet for people. And again, this isn't a Republican thing. It's not a Democratic thing. It's a values thing. It's that I just believe we're better than this. Yeah. Kind of thing. So I would, I would say, you know, before you even start pointing at other people, look at yourself and ask, what can, what can I do right here where I'm at with whatever time I have and whatever resources that I have? And you can do a lot. Now, in terms of turn out Washington. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, so. <sighs> Again, let's just call it out. Trump ain't no Republican girl. <laughs> you know, he But he's not... picking all these crazy Republicans who I think are gonna are gonna just do what they want. Well, and he has a Republican Congress, which and okay. and the and Supreme Court nominations coming and I just can't wow well, stop it. Here's the thing. He's he's running the government like he thinks he's gonna run a business, which is you appoint or that you bring in super talented people and you let them run things and you sort of stand back and sort of manage yeah. you manage the experience. Well, we'll really see how that goes. But here's here's the issue. Let's see even how that even flies. Because a lot of the people, to a point that you brought up earlier, voted them in because they wanted to blow up the system. They mm. want to change in Washington. They want to get rid of the elites. And he's hiring nothing but elites. Yeah. So lie number one. Yeah. And we can get into like how just functionally and systematically or functionally the system isn't meant to support that. So, I mean, that was a big lie to begin with. Yeah. So that's number one. So that, I think, is going to blow up in his face. Number two, you know, he's not a Republican. A lot of Republicans are just already fed up with his bullshit, never bought it to begin with, and are, and are fighting back. And I think, so you do have the John McCain, who's in a really interesting position because he may not run again. So he does not yeah, need exactly. to. Yeah, So he can, and, and he's a, in a very important role. And that's very promising, too. Again, mm-hmm. this is someone who, again, no big fan of Obama's, no, not, not like some raging liberal, but 
just understands that America is better than this, knows what's going on in the world, and is going to challenge it. And, you know, and, and as much as scary as I think some of his appointments are, others give me less apprehension because at least they're thoughtful and think about these things. Yeah. You know, Russia is a real threat. It's not a real mm-hmm. threat because Barack Obama says so or because Barack Obama, you know, doesn't sit up and watch American Idol with, with, with Vladimir Putin. It's, it's because there's legitimate concerns. I mean, there, in this election alone, it was proven that a malicious foreign actor, Russia, was trying to interfere yeah. with our election system. Like, this is a real problem, right? So I am encouraged by the fact that there are at least thoughtful people in the mm-hmm. rooms when these decisions are made. So just kind of take hope in that. Mm-hmm. But so I think what it's important to do is I think that you have to send a message in your state and local elections. You need to write people. Write your members of Congress. Believe it or not, that still makes a difference. Yeah. Call them up. Call the phone calls. Believe it or not, that makes a difference. Light up social media. Believe it or not, yes, that makes a difference because it's a wave. It's not just yeah. that you write. It's that millions of people write. Yeah. And, push and Republicans through. do this, guys. Oh, like, that's, that's the thing. thing. They, they do, this, do. And that's how the, they gun, the gun people, they are on the phone all the time. All the time. And it's not even like they're, it's not even that they, they, by numbers are a huge lobby. It's just that they're very, very active Vocal. and they're yeah. organized. And that's how we have to be. And don't get overwhelmed. Find one or two issues because there are lots of yeah. things they scared about, but find yeah. one or two issues that you're really passionate about. For me, like, my organization of choice is, is, is Planned Parenthood. I'm really passionate about women's reproductive rights. I'm really passionate about health and health and wellness. I think they do a lot of really great work. Lots of other places I could like really get crazy over. But really like dive in deep. Support. Donate. Write. Yeah. You know, ju- sign their petitions. Like, it, like you know... That's how you mobilize and you organize and you really put pressure. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really two ways that you can get involved. <laughs> One is with your body and your brain, and the other is with your money. Money, yeah, you know, but, you're, but so, yeah, and your voice, yeah, yeah, putting it out there, and and that is really important. People pay attention to those things. Members of Congress pay attention to those things. Oh, and I was going to say, like, and you, if you want proof of that, look at the what, how they're discussing about repealing quote unquote Obamacare. Yeah. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that the there are a couple of provisions that are extremely popular. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can keep your children on your par- parents can keep their children on their health insurance until the age of 26 and you can't discriminate against pre-existing conditions. Mm. You know, people spoke up. Republicans and Democrats spoke up about how those things have changed their lives. Mm. That's incredibly powerful. So as you're thinking about repealing Obamacare, like, you know, those, those are kind of seen as sacrosanct and, and there's going to be real hell to pay if yeah. those are repealed. Why? Because people called. People yeah. sent letters. People lit up social media. Yeah. So find your issues. Fight for them. Advocate for them. Also, you know, take some time to educate yourself. Read about what's going on. Because a lot of what is happening in Washington depends on, in this election, depends on people not being informed. Yeah. Look at the idea of fake news. Oh, it God, really depends so on people. Bad. It depends on people yeah. not being able to discern what's real and what's fake. Yeah. And that just comes, and being able to do that comes from a lot of different ways, but the easiest is just by being informed by in the beginning. No one's going to tell you two plus two equals five. Why? Because you're educated and you've seen enough times where you could spot that shit from a mile away. Yeah. You have to be the same thing about the issues that you care about uh, in this country. So read. Read often. Read widely. Get out of the echo chamber. And I, and I, am a, and I sometimes, and I am a victim of this. 
you know, Facebook, social media in general is great in that it exposes us to lots of different content, but it's an echo chamber because we fed things based on what we like. Yeah, the algorithms but, like exactly. subs- feeds you things you most likely exactly. are likely to engage with. So I, I highly recommend setting up your Facebook feed into different lists. So yeah. I have lists of Republican <laughs> stuff and I have lists of uh, Democrats. I have lists of my like close friends, et cetera. And then you can look at your feed in a, a slice and you'll see everything from those people. Exactly, so yeah. my most crazy people I call shit starters and I hide most of my political mm-hmm. stuff from them. But I do go check in on what they're posting too so I can it's see what they're thinking about. Yeah, see what they're thinking about. Get out of, you know, get out of, get out of the box for a little bit. Yeah. Know what's going on. It'll also give you kind of a heads up on like what to watch out for, some issues to get ahead of. Yeah. But I think all of us fall victim of sort of being in our own cubby holes. Some cubby holes are bigger than others. Some seem more popular yeah. than others. But there's still cubby holes, echo chambers nonetheless. And we got to break out, yeah. crack through. And social media is an easy, powerful way to do that. And then just check your facts before you post stuff. Please ugh, go run things please. through PolitiFact and, and Snopes and like honey, make sure a that meme it's meme is not a fact. Okay. Yes. <laughs> like don't Donald be... Trump never said that Republicans are the stupidest group. I know we I know I don't doubt that he feels that way, but he mm-hmm. never said that on, on right. the Today Show. Don't be sourcing memes. Don't be coming, yeah. well, I saw this thing off it. No. Give me a newspaper article and demand that from people. Yeah. Newspaper articles from reputable yeah. sources. Also, you know, newspapers are just as susceptible to public opinion as members of Congress. So if you see something in the New York Times or the Washington Post that you know is not right, or CBS News, I think the perfect example, CBS News the other day. If you seem to see something that's that, that a headline that is written that you that you don't think is correct or wasn't accurately accurately reflecting the situation, write, let them up, tweet. If yeah. you really want to get the attention of a newspaper or an author, tweet the asses because they are all <laughs> over Twitter and they pay attention and they rely yeah. on Twitter to get a sense of what's going on. And again, it's not that your one individual tweet is going to do something, but it's the fact that you tweet and then somebody else tweets and you it, that that's when it starts to bubble up to the surface. So don't think that you don't matter. Understand you're part of a bigger course. Yeah. Nobody oh, and speaking you. of newspapers, pay for your newspaper. Pay, pay for the pay New York Times. Pay. pay for the Washington Post. Pay for Slate. Put your money that's to quality what, yes. journalism so that they can survive. Yes, and because that's what they're good. That they, they they exist to check power. And again, people in power, particularly Trump, he is attacking them. Not not subvertly anymore. Outright, outright, outright attacking. He went on a tweet storm overnight, yeah. attacking attacking somebody at CNN. Yeah. It's crazy. He's, it's attacking them, and that is what demagogues do, right? Yeah. And you know, it, it, you know, and I just I want to point this out too because I think. I think it's a clear example of like what we're dealing with in Trump and why it's so frightening. Look at the Hamilton protest, right? Mm, yeah. Look how Trump responded versus how Mike Pence responded. Yeah. You know, again, this is not a Republican thing. It's not a Democrat thing. This is like these are the. This is what I mean by values. This is human decency. This is human decency. That is like what we're fighting against. That's what. The, yeah. Well, he's so trying to shut down free, she, free shut, society. Shutting down, shutting down free speech, and you know he can he can disrespect. Everyone yeah. insult, humiliate everyone, but no one can do it to him. Yeah. If you do it to him, it's unfair. You need to apologize, or I'm going to come after you. Yeah. So let you got to shut that shit down. You got to say it's not. Did enough. you see that he said this morning that burning the flag should be uh-huh. jail time or loss of citizenship? Yes. Yes. Listen, this is someone. This is someone who literally built his campaign on. The idea that America now is garbage. Yeah. It's shit. The generals are garbage. All this stuff. But if someone wants to sit down during the Pledge of Allegiance, they should be deported. It's they can't insane. be American. 
how dare you criticize the United States? Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, let's really, let's really call out, let's call bullshit when we see it. Yeah. Anyway. So, yes, really engage the media. Tweet them if you think that something is crazy. I was going to say with CBS News, great example. So, as you, as you may know, over the weekend, Donald Trump said that he would have won the popular vote if it weren't for the millions of illegal immigrants yeah. who voted. And CBS News reported that in their original post, in their original post, an original headline said, Donald Trump says that he would have won the popular vote if there were, you know, weren't millions of people who voted. And people lit up CBS News via Twitter yeah. and said that, that you need to actually fact check that. Yeah. There is no evidence yeah. of voter fraud. He is making that claim without any kind of backup. He and got it from InfoWars. Right. InfoWars is a wackadoo website. Right. And so our own president is peddling <laughs> fake news. I mean, it's like your grandmother. It's or like your when old he said qu- there were thousands of Muslims celebrating 9-11 in New Jersey. That Amen. did not happen. Right. I mean, he, I mean, it's like he's like he's like a crazy uncle. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse because he's not even getting his national briefings. You know, he's mean, he's turning those down. I think down. my theory on that is that they're filled with um, stuff about Russia that he wants to have plausible deniability on. He doesn't want to have any. He doesn't want to know that Russia's doing all this crazy shit because he wants it's to get in bed with you. Putin. But anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm, it's anyway, a lot. Yeah, hold hold the newspapers accountable. Tweet them. Um, stay engaged, and then and keep the fight up. We have another opportunity in 2018, yeah. and that's a big one. Senate. And house races. Now, don't get scared. People are going to try to tell you Democrats are going to be mean to minority for a long time because of a whole bunch of demographic things. And, and, and Jamie, blah, 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 blah. listen, nobody, those same people didn't predict Trump. Those same people said Hillary Clinton's going to win. So at the end of the day, the great thing about what happened is that the rules can be written. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Anything can happen. Anything can change. I and mean, we haven't talked about the recount, but you know who knows. But like the whole the whole point is, is that like anything can happen. So anything can happen. I think with these midterm elections, so particularly if people get fired up and engaged. Yeah. So focus on twenty eighteen. Find out who's running for office in your in your area. Get out there, vote for them, vote for the school board, vote for your state house reps, vote for your house of representatives in in Washington. Get involved in the Senate race. These things matter, and that is what's going to pose a, put a check on him. That's what that's what happened when Barack Obama came in. Yeah. Two years later, Congress flipped because Republicans got engaged. Yeah, so I mean, so stay engaged, stay active, stay focused, mm-hmm. keep talking, and don't for a second, a second, think that this is okay or normal or get complacent. Not even for a moment. All right. I think that's a good spot yes. to end. Jamal Smith, thank you so much for coming Ooh, back on the yes. show and for bringing your enthusiasm and your hope and your optimism to a very scary time in our history. So. But you know what? We're going to be okay because we're not going to lose hope. We're not going to fall <laughs> short. We're not going to get complacent. 2018, we're going to start to turn this mess around. Yeah. All right. Sooner. I love you, Jamal. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that's going to wrap things up for another edition of How They Did It. Let me know what you think about the name. I'm thinking about changing this to the Darby cast, the name to the to the Darby cast, because I just want to be able to talk about whatever I want to talk about, not just about career stuff or how you built your life. So let me know what you think about that. You can hop onto my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Darby. You can tweet at me at Darby W or find me on Instagram also at Darby W. This show is produced in partnership with Pregame Magazine. Learn more about them and read 
reads super smart stuff from super smart people at pregamemagazine.com. Our theme music is provided by Girls Like Bass. You can hear more from them at girlslikebass.com. And hey, it's the holiday season, so what that means is that I will be sending out my annual Christmas, Hanukkah, Happy New Year greeting toward the end of the year. This year, it's going to be a playlist of some of my favorite Goosia songs. Goosia stands for Get Up and Shake Your Ass. It's a thing I've been doing on social media since about October of 2008, and I'm going to pick out a bunch of my favorite songs and put them into a playlist for you guys. Music is a really helpful way to deal with anxiety, depression, any of those things that uh, half of the country are feeling right now. So if you are interested in getting a hold of that, uh, drop me a line at Facebook and I'll make sure to send it your way. Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks for listening. 